Hey, this is Oliver. And this is Morgan. Before we get to our show today, we want to let listeners know about a special live taping of Heat Rocks happening in Los Angeles on Saturday, November 11th. Yeah, man. This is to celebrate the launch of Heat Rocks, and we decided to tape an episode live, inviting electric, eclectic, Grammy-nominated artist B. Slade to join us to talk about his Heat Rock. Janet Jackson's smash album, Rhythm Nation, 1814. This is happening on Saturday, November the 11th. 11th at 4 p.m. at the residence in the Arts District of downtown Los Angeles. You can find more info about this on our website, which is heatrockspod.com, as well as on our Instagram account, also at heatrockspod. We do hope to see all of our LA fans out there, and now onto the show. <laughs> Hi, I'm Oliver Wang with a slight head cold. And I'm Morgan Rhodes. I feel great. (laughs) I hope you feel better, Oliver. You're listening to Heat Rocks. Every episode, we invite a guest to join us to talk about a heat rock, you know, a dope album, fly cut. And today, we will be deep diving together into Common's 2000, year 2000 album, Like Water for Chocolate. The perseverance of a rebel, I drop heavier levels, it's unseen or heard. A king with words, can't knock the hustle, but I've seen street dreams deferred. Dark spots in my mind where the scene occurred. Some say I'm too deep, I'm in too deep to sleep. Through me, Like Water for Chocolate was Common's fourth album, and at the time was his most commercially and critically successful LP. At, at the tender age of 28 when he put it out, he had spent the 90s maturing from being this very brash upstart out of Chicago to becoming almost an elder statesman of sorts in the hip-hop world. And I do remember at the time I reviewed this album for the LA Weekly and said that it was, quote, filled with evocative detail and animated emotion that sets a standard for any aspiring artist to achieve, unquote. I'm not a thousand percent sure if I still agree with that sentiment, but we can certainly revisit that point uh, at some point today. I sort of don't want that to stop. I have a little bit of a shoulder shimmy going on. To talk about Like Water for Chocolate, we invited LAMC Il Camille, one of LA's best and brightest, who I came to know through an album called <laughs> The Pre-Write and a song that I love called I Want Ya. In the years since that release, six if you're counting, she's been racking up credits as a writer and producer, having appeared on Good Kid, Mad City, and also working closely with the Poly Seeds, Terrace Martin, and since then has blessed us in the spring with what I think is one of the best albums this year. That's Heirloom, a 16-track story of loss, renewal, and evolution. Young chicks developing hips, innocence is lost. County building overly crowded, we pay the cost. In the back of the alleys, fiends bought for powder. Money, power, respect, self-proclaimed bosses. Buck pads and blunt reps, the first of the month. Gotta put paper it ain't to make something. See, that was black gold, like black gold from the sun. Uh, from Il Camille's Heirloom, and Oliver and I are thrilled to have her on Heat Rocks today. Welcome to the show, and thank you for joining us. Thank you. Wow. I'm happy already. Like, can't stop smiling because I'm here. <laughs> Dope we're, intro. We're Thank glad you. to have you. Um, we got to ask, though, why Common and why Like Water for Chocolate? That album and just Common as an MC, as an artist. I mean, he talks to his community, to the ladies. You know what I mean? He's still very brash on the mic. I don't know. He's just like the most balanced MC that I know, especially mm. if you if you want to put him in a conscious category. 
to me, he embodies everything. And I just, he's a perfect pick. And then like Water for Chocolate was to me his most complete album. Mm. Um, I mean, so Aquarians and Jay Dilla on there, it's like, come on, I don't know. It can't be beat. Like, it's like kind of hard. So, yeah, it inspired me a lot. What was your introduction to Common? Was it on this album? Were you listening to his you know, stuff like When Did It All Make Sense or Resurrection? Or if we really want to go all the way Can back. Can I Borrow a Dollar? Borrow, yeah. Were you messing My with dad that? introduced me to Can I Borrow a Dollar? Okay. And I think that I liked it because he liked it. Mm. But um, Resurrection and One Day Will, you know, One Day It All Make Sense were the albums where I was like, oh, I'm a fan for real. Mm. You know, that's when I really like tapped in, tapped in. And I just. I became like a common like connoisseur ever since. Were you Morgan? Were you messing with Common back then? I was. I mean, there were issues around. I used to love her. You know, being from the West Coast, it was like, "What'd you say?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then when Cube jumped Full on it, I was like, Cube. "Wait, what?" Mm-hmm. Um, but I couldn't. It, it didn't. It didn't take me away from my love for him. I still. I, that was just such a tight song. Like I couldn't. The metaphors. What could you do? What can you do? So, in terms of Common's entire discography where would you place like water for chocolate for me number one for me Mm. you know what I mean because I think how old was I at the time that album came out 16 yeah so high school right uh identity was you know Mm. like a thing for me then because I knew who I was but, you know, in high school, sometimes that can be challenged. And I felt like Common was speaking to, like, identity mm. and community and all the things that I recognize in my own family. But haven't heard on record from a man, like, not not during that time. So mm. that's why it's, like, important to me. You know what I mean? Where were you in terms of your career as an MC? Were you already starting to write your rhymes then? Were you thinking about it? I was just a girl freestyling at lunch. You know, I didn't learn the structure of 16 bar verse till 2011. Yeah. So during that time, it was just ciphers at, at lunch. It was just listening to beats and, you know, typical high school hip hop appreciation type mess, you know. I had posters on my wall, nothing major. <laughs> I, I didn't even think I was going to be an MC. Hmm. I never thought about it. I mean, I was just thinking what you're saying about what you identified with Common and that he wasn't necessarily the first, certainly not the first MC to get introspective. No. But in that era, there were few others quite like him that were doing it. And of right. course, you know, throughout the 2000s, everyone else sort of jumped on that. And eventually we get Drake out of it. We don't have to go there. But right. what was it about <laughs> Morgan's looking at me like, why, why are you throwing <laughs> shots at the god? But what was it about Common's introspection that spoke to you? And, and wh- how was it different than whoever else you were listening to? Like, who, who else were you bumping then that you were kind of getting that maybe not enough of that, whereas Common filled that void? Well, you know, Slum Village was in existence during that time, and I was a big Slum Ville mm-hmm. fan. Yeah. I was listening to a lot of different people. I mean, I was still listening to Dog Pound, mm-hmm. and I was listening to Erica Badu because, like, the Soquarian movement had kind of, like— been pushed into the forefront. I was into the roots. But just to have like all those different, I guess, uh, ideologies like represented in one man, like one single being, I was Mm. like, okay, for sure. Like even Black Star was around, you know, but that's still two people. To hear like dual perspective in one man was kind of cool. And I was like, damn, he represents like men that raised me. He sounds... Like he knows who he is, but it's conflicted and 
He's talking about the world and family and little trivial stuff, you know. Check it, exciting, enlightening, inviting. I'm writing shit that I feel. Raps of black steel in the hour of commotion, the motion of calm. It's like that of an ocean devotion, cause I'm the earth, wind, and fire. A hip hop by rock, him in short, I've been inspired. My shit knocks in fire. So there's two different topics that I want to use as a jumping off point. Let's start with the one that's more fun, which is talk a little bit about the Soquarians because you keep bringing them up. Yeah. Remind the audience, who were they and why were they important in terms of as a production team? Well, Amir Thompson, Questlove, um, James Poyser. <clears throat> to me, he was like the front runner. He brought everybody together. And then... Tribe wasn't Q-Tip a part of the Soquarians? Yep, Jay Dilla. Jay Dilla. D'Angelo. D'Angelo. Bilal. Bilal. Oh, and that's, that, oh, yeah, Bilal, yeah. So, Badu. Badu, of course. So it was just a collective of musicians and artists and creatives, and they worked on this album together as they worked on Erica Badu's album, as they worked on the Roots album. And it's just like, kind of had like a Native Tongues type deal. Type, you know, set up. As a family collective. Like a family mean, right. collective, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, that was my go to. Yeah. Anything and, they would do. And were incredibly influential in that, I mean, as you point out, in that exact moment around late 90s, early 2000s, I mean, they did Black, they did Voodoo by D'Angelo, they did this album. I mean, if you just think, look at the stuff they touched. And Mama's Gun. Exactly. I always thought I always thought the Soquarians would stay around a little bit longer than they did. I feel like their I mean their influence was intense in that moment, but yeah. then a couple of years go by and then you, you didn't hear about them anymore. Yeah, I sat down with Belial a couple of years ago to interview him, and I asked him about the Soquarians. You know, should I start praying for them to get back together? And he said, <laughs> Yeah. Um, so you know, I would like to have seen an album with just them, like yeah. a straight-ahead Soulquarians album, just to see what that sounds like. But right. to your point, I think we just have to have snippets of what they can do, but it would have been dope for them to come out together with an album. On getting it, I'm sitting with descendants of Abraham who say the jam is money, cash, hoes. I went from bashful to asshole to international. Love herself. As someone who produces some of her own tracks, what do you hear in the Soulquarians sound as a producer? I hear the lack of structure. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. I hear, like, the lack of structure sometimes. Like, it's structured. Like, you know when the hook and the... But it'll, they'll have, like... They'll have transitions that, like, you didn't expect. Like, oh, the Moog just came out of nowhere. Or, oh, the synth just... Oh, for just, the, like, four measures. Or, yeah. I like that unpredictability. I think that's, like, a West Coast thing. So for them to, like, do it, maybe that's a Philly thing, too. But I felt like that was, like, present in all their, their works. Like, the unpredictability of where the production or the song was going to go. And... I mean, the, the L.A. Philly comparison is interesting because if you think about Philly soul and you think of L.A. hip hop in the 90s, the thing that they're both known for is melody. And the Soulquarians yeah. are, are drowning you in melody. Drown right? you. And I loved it. I loved it. it, it yeah. I was going to say that there are a lot of similarities to me between 
um, some of the Soul Quarians production on what we're talking about yeah. and, on, and on Heirloom because to me you have sort of a West Coast collective around you. You've got Iman Omari, you've got Sir, you've got Rose Gold, you've got yeah. Georgia Ann Muldrow. Yes. And so Oliver and I have talked a lot about the sound of West Coast. Everyone's asking, what's in the water? Where did this come from? Huh. And we're like, we've been, <laughs> we've been here. We've, yeah. we've been doing this. We may, we may not have had the collective name, but I see a lot of similarities between your albums because it's like a who's who of this new West Coast soul hip hop sound. Do you see similarities between like Water for Chocolate and Heirloom in terms of the production? I do. I do. Uh, heavy on the drums, mm-hmm. heavy on the melodies, heavy on the soul. Like, you know, if those three things I feel like, you know, the people that collectively worked on my album have, and I feel like the Soquarians embodied that. And I think, you know, we're, we're inspired. Everybody that you named that worked on my album definitely is like so Aquarian. For sure. <laughs> for sure. sure. Because there's there are moments on like Water for Chocolate, especially when you know that Dilla's in the room, you're like, well, where does the sample end and the song start? Yeah. There's, they're so married together. Yeah. And I feel the same way about a lot of songs on your album, particularly like Duality. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You, you, they're, they're so married together. That, that's the beauty of Soul Aquarians, and I think that's the beauty, to me at least, of, of Heirloom. Thank you. Wow. I think one of the things that like Water for Chocolate did for Common was he had already begun this kind of artistic transformation from uh, Can I Borrow a Dollar to Resurrection. A lot of people didn't see Resurrection coming. And the the name of this album itself suggests reinvention, right? right? But to me, like Water for Chocolate was this big next kind of step in that metamorphosis. I do remember, um, because I mean, this was an album that, that really hit with a lot of different communities at the time. And one of the critiques that were thrown at Common was that this was him at like peak Koofy rap stage. <laughs> and that, and, and really Koofy rap became this sort of shorthand, meaning that he's too soft, he's too, um, you know, corny, and all these other critiques that I think have really lingered around Common for, for mm. you know, you know, he's got 11 albums now, but it's yeah. sort of this label that for a contingent within the hip hop community, common is just something he's just not hard enough for them whatever that really means and i'm wondering as someone who's you know an an unabashed fan what do you think of that criticism i pretty much disregarded it i'm like i mean are you really listening to what he's saying you know what i mean like he talks about like going after somebody that robbed his grandmother you know what i mean like he wasn't common wasn't like soft on the records his his flow isn't soft. Nothing about him is soft, but it's it's. Uh, but it's soulful. I it's think. soulful. It's right. just right. Like he was just right on every record. Maybe because you know, maybe I'm biased. Maybe I just love it too much to see where the softness came in. <laughs> but I just felt like every everything he did on every record was appropriate for that record, and he showed a lot of like range. You know what I mean? From Nag Champa, that was the vibe. I mean, I think part of it. Is- too is that common hit big amongst a particular demographic you know largely sort of you know the kind of cafe crowd white college students and i think it's it's unfair to blame an artist for their fan base but i think common sort of took flack for that and a lot of other artists did at the same time because it just seemed like it was i mean it kind of gets in the whole racial politics and class politics around hip-hop who gets to be a fan of it and all these other things but i mean that's the interesting thing about common these debates have often always swirled around him mm-hmm. in particular. Yeah. One thing I like about uh, that song or one of the lyrics he says is um, some some say you've changed Rashid and he says times are, right? Uh, we still close. I rhyme far. 
um, away from what you're accustomed to hearing every day. And uh-uh. I think that's sort of like it breaks down sort of the duality. Like I, I used to, I used to could really go there, yeah. and I can still go there. I'm just a little bit, you know, woke now. Mm-hmm. What do you see as the change in common in his flow in his content between the album before? Yeah. Unlike Water for Chocolate. Yeah. One day it'll all make sense. What do you see as the change, if, if there was a change to you? I think on this album he was more comfortable in displaying the duality. I think it was always there. I mean, everybody has a dual nature, you know what I mean? It's just who's comfortable in, like, expressing it? Who's who's really comfortable going from hot to cold? Or, you know, calling a woman a bee and in the next minute a queen? Like, I, I appreciate that. That's because that's how human beings are. So I just felt like nothing has changed about him. He just grew to be more comfortable. So speaking of that heat. Yeah. I mean, I know you love every song off this album. Yeah. But if you had to pick the one fire track, what would it be? Dang, man. Why, Oliver? Why? (laughs) I'm not going to say Nack Champa, even though that's my go-to. Ghetto Heaven. Mm. That was crazy. And the video was crazy. And Zinga Stewart did it. That, That was crazy. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, look at how it started. If you want to start off any song right, you got to put D'Angelo in the front. (laughs) You're not gonna lose. Agreed. Right. True. That is truth. Agreed. Like, so you set you set yourself up for the win. Then the ghetto girls is thick. Righteousness is narrow. I got my third eye on the sparrow. What? Like his flow just staggered and just steady. And so it's the drum pattern. It's not too much. It's just right. It's just right. And it's a cover. It's the come family on. stand. Yeah. Ghetto heaven. Yeah. Come right? on, man. So you can't you can't be mad. You can't. He did it like Come beautifully. On. And then the and then the second rendition of this was even doper. So I was just like, you know what? Because Macy Gray with Macy Gray. Filling the times that I might just murder. Yo, that ain't what I was sent for. I want folks to say his life meant more than any. I might need a moment. Come on. I think I already know the answer to this question, just based on our conversation so far, but. Cummins worked with three very distinct phases uh, in terms of who he's paired himself with with producers, right? He started with No ID. Yeah. This is now the Soquarian Sol- era. Uh, and then Kanye, right, by the yeah. time we get to be in, in, in Fighting Forever. Um, do you have a favorite amongst those three? I mean, I'm, I'm guessing you're going to say Soquarians. But... I'm still going to say Soquarians. Yeah. But when Kanye slipped up in there, mm. he is a child of Dilla. Mm. You know what I mean? So you still hear it in him, too, you know, in the Chicago yeah. So they make sense together. Yeah. So I, it's a tie. It's a tie. We'll take a quick break and we'll be right back with Heat Rocks. Don't go anywhere. Hello, Amita Patel. Hello, Sean David Johnson. What's going on? I think a friend of mine may have chronic pop culture deficiency syndrome. Oh, no. PCDS? What are the symptoms? Well, she doesn't know Wakanda from Westeros. Shameful. And she keeps confusing Aziz Ansari and Riz Ahmed. Oh, my gosh. So sad kind of racist too but what did you tell her to do i told her to listen to our podcast inside pop of course fantastic idea a weekly dose of inside pop will help anyone discover the best in tv film and music 
Suffer from PCDS no more. Inside Pop has you covered every Wednesday on Max Fun. In celeb news this week, the hosts of Lady to Lady took a break from hanging with today's hottest comedians, actors, and writers to sell a sex machine. What'd they do with all that cash? Rent a party bus to go to Magic Mike Live in Vegas, of course. All of this on the heels of a salacious sizzler session with Home Alone 4 star French Stewart. Want to know what the f*** we're talking about? Tune into Lady to Lady whenever, wherever you listen to podcasts. Can you keep a secret? Neither can we. I love that Common talks about Asada, that he sort of tells Asada Shakur's story in song for Asada. There were lights and sirens, gunshots fine, cover your eyes as I describe a scene so violent, seemed like a bad dream. She laid in the blood puddle, blood bubbled in her chest, cold air brushed against open flesh, no room to rest, pain consumed each breath, shot twice with her hands up. So for, uh, for those that don't know, Asada Shakur, a seminal figure in uh, the Black Liberation Movement, the Black Panther Party, was accused of killing a police officer and has been exiled to Cuba ever since. There are lingering theories about if she did or if she didn't. We know what side common I was on on this song and, and a great many of other of us. With guns to her head, every word she got hit. Who shot the trooper they asked her? Put mace in her eyes, threaten the blast. In Warrior Sankofa, you say, I used to read The Green Eggs and Ham, and then I read about Elaine Brown. Mm-hmm. And you also have one of my favorite lines uh, in Black Gold, where you say, liberation is gangsta. You and Common both shout out critical figures in the Black Panther Party. Mm-hmm. How much did Like Water for Chocolate influence your own social consciousness on wax? That's so crazy, because as that song was playing, I remember I was reading... A Taste of Power by Elaine Brown at the time that this album came out. Mm. So when I got to, you know, the song for Asada, I was like, oh. And I just delved in more. It just made me be like, oh, more, you know, w- women, more leadership. Like, it, it, I don't know, I just became even more interested knowing that there was a song that was kind of representing, like, what I was interested in at the time. So, yeah, Elaine Brown and Asada Shakur, for me, those two figures became important in how I kind of like am now and for common to talk about it I was like oh I'm even more in love with you so this is crazy <laughs> yeah he can't lose he couldn't lose I'm telling you there's nothing you can say to me about this album like negatively I don't even think there's like nothing and even when you strip it down to its to its layers as, as we could do on and on Let's just talk about that. It just sounds good. It just sounds. He could have been talking. He could have been talking about green eggs and ham, but the production just sounds good. Yeah. Shout out to the Soulquarians again. Shout out. So my question is, and we ask this of all of our guests. I know it's hard to pick because we are in love with every possible song okay. on here. Okay. But for me, the slept on jam is funky for you. What I'm a child of the uh. The 87, uh. But that's the one that you dance to. Right. But it doesn't get <laughs> talked about in the same way as The Light. Right. And Nag Champa. So right. for you, what's The Sleeper Jam? The Sleeper Jam is funky for you. And I felt like people just, it was like too much of an upbeat, you know what I mean, thing for people to accept. They were used for the boom bap, but that was, you had to move. Like, let's not front on that track, you know? Uh, the 87, uh, from the streets, get on the beat, it go, uh, I 
Alright, I gotta confess, I was one of the people was not feeling this as a single. Oh no! If it had been, if it had, Why? If it had been like an, you know. A deep album cut, I would have been fine with it. But when they put this out on, on 12 inch, I'm like, why? Like, you got the whole album. Like, why would you put this one out? I'm Come sorry. On, brother Wayne. I'm sorry. But what are you hearing? Come here. What are you hearing in the track? I love that. I was always dancing to this. This was my one. When I would fake DJ, <laughs> this was one I was going to play. This was you. Out of common. Yeah. As long as it's funky. All right. It was like an auntie jam. Like uh. It is. And yeah. I am an auntie. And so I feel it. You can skate to this. You can dance to this. You can fake DJ. There we go. This. There we go. This is the... Come on, Oliver. Come on. I just learned a new term, which is auntie jam. I feel like we should use that for... <laughs> it's that auntie is jam. We ask all our future guests, what's the auntie jam? What is your <laughs> auntie jam on this, on this album? <laughs> Yeah, we, we keeping you on production. Okay, you, you, you getting us all all the way together. Wow for the ooh, baby girl, let's go have for the child for the ooh, lick shots, pop lock, loud for the ooh, like rock, I move for crowd for the ooh. You talking loud and ain't saying. I think the other thing about Common right at this moment is that he maybe transcends is a little too dramatic way to put it, but. He had been such a, a Chicago artist up until that point. And I feel like well, like Water for Chocolate, he kind of expanded beyond just a city and really became, I don't know, national. Something that it wasn't – I mean, it wasn't like he left Chicago behind, but he just seemed bigger than that somehow. I'm, yep. I'm wondering if that's an impression you had. Yeah. I think that was when I realized like, oh, he's kind of cracking, you know, for a lack of a better term. But I'm like, he's not a local mm. or just like. Uh, in the box conscious artist like I feel like everybody was gravitating to him and maybe that was part of the problem that's why he got so many critiques about being soft and whatever because he couldn't be contained it's like we knew he could kind of go into any other genre he looks good so like the commercial appeal with like the good sounding music it was like oh he's not just gonna be in the shy anymore I wanted to uh, talk a little bit about the art for like water for chocolate yeah because I think nothing said this is a different album than the artwork. Mm. You're like, okay, colored only. You want to it, describe it real quick? Yeah. It's a green and white background, It's a, it's but it's black and white, right. and it's black folks, and it's a colored only right. fountain. So nothing brings you into this album is going to be markedly different from the last one, and I'm so serious. It's a stark image, and I always see that in a in a vinyl collector's picture. That's the, well, it's one of the albums that's constantly photographed, framed, because it's prolific. How yeah. did it register to you the first time you saw it? I was like, dang. And that's when I really start tapping into Gordon Parks. You know what I mean? Like, sure. Shout out to Common for that, because I now that I'm realizing it, the reason why this album is so important is because I started delving into, like, all of the artists that were featured or, you know, symbolic to the album so for me seeing that i was like damn he put that on the cover he put that on the cover on the cover that's the cover i was tripping you can't help but crack it open after that just to see just to see just to see just to see i mean this is also the same era i think maybe a year later from the roots things fall apart which also uses civil rights era photography on its cover too so I mean, that might have been some part of that soul querying influence. It's not just musical. It's also in the politics of how it's, it's kind of shaping the image of these artists. Yep. And I remember they switched off. They had five variations of the cover for the Things Fall Apart album. Did right. they? And then, like, you could put it together as, like, a collector's thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's why we need the soul querians back. Because That's why. 
I mean, we're obviously going to be missing missing Dilla, oh, uh, which is the heart. But uh, and this is a bad pun. But the heart and the light. Yeah, I never knew a la 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 a la like this. Gotta be something for me to write this, Queen. I ain't seen you in a minute. Wrote this letter and finally decide to send it. Signed, sealed, delivered for us to grow together. At some point, we need to do a proper episode just about Dilla. So whether it's a Slum Village album or one of Dilla's, you know, solo tracks, but this is a good, you know, opportunity to get into it a little bit. And of course, rest in peace to to to, uh, to JD. You know, this this moment, too, in this album, I feel like is really when Dilla makes this leap, partly because Slim Village is also coming out and he yeah. you know, produces the whole group. But the stuff that he started doing with Tribe, started doing with The Far Side in the mid-90s, really blossoms in this moment. And you really can feel his touch on stuff like like Water for Chocolate and like the stuff that he was doing with The Roots, all the Soquarian stuff. When did you first start listening to Dilla production and thinking, man, this guy's got something different. He's really he's really working with something here that I'm gravitating to. Well, my cousins, I'm, you know, always just hanging around my big cousins. So I remember hearing Dilla production and not realizing it was Dilla production. I mean, far side, yeah. you know. Um, but I think Slum Village was like my real introduction in that's when my like appreciation for him as a producer like really grew and as an MC I ain't going to lie like I was like dang he could he's really like the fourth like rapper you know so to speak you know um to me as a like a producer slash MC he was one of the best and people often forget that cuz they credit him more as a producer but his verses was crazy yeah like even on Thelonious on you know on on like Water for his verse was killer and I was like damn got a murder comment on this one I can't <laughs> believe it it's crazy but Dilla to me was was one of the best but I I couldn't say that until I listened to like Water for Chocolate until I heard more Slum albums like I was sold after those it's easy to be able to connect the dots for me the moment I was like. Wow mm-hmm. was actually Mama's Gun. Oh yeah, yeah. Because yeah. there was such a difference to me between that album and Erica's album before, and the difference was Dilla. Yeah, like all these old samples. And I want to take a moment to shout out uh, Bobby Caldwell for yeah. for the light. He to me is just like if there's a Hall of Fame mm-hmm. for beat makers, he's mm-hmm. got to be in there. Yeah, but he influenced the. He made things more soulful, and that's the one thing that stands out to me for like Water for Chocolate is the soul factor. Soul. Of course, you can't take away from the singers. And stuff, but there was just an undercurrent of good soul. And I think this goes back to Camille's point about how a lot of pr- the production felt formless, right? Is yeah. that things that the, the track was allowed to breathe. Mm-hmm. And what you remember of a lot of the songs is not so much the kind of the structure of it in terms of, oh, it started with this intro and then it went to this hook and then this bridge. It's the feel of it. And I think yeah. Dilla, as yeah. much as any other producer I can think of, he just understood feel. Yeah. Feel. Man, that's a great point. That's true. If there was any song on this album, if you had any song on here that you could either remix or redo, remix as a producer, or even be have a guest verse on one of the songs, which one would it be? Dang. I would bring back CeeLo and probably put CeeLo on a remix of Thelonious and probably have, like, Georgia, like, reproduce it. Oof. She's done 
Della, you know, reproduction before. Yeah, so put CeeLo on there. Uh, yeah, yeah, play at your own risk. And like you know, bitch, I'm on some grown shit. Ha, yeah, yeah, play at your own risk. And like you know, bitch, I'm on some grown shit. It's the Thelonious Super Microphonus. You know what's the scrap shit, we bought to own it. You know what? So, Camille, what is it about this song that makes you want to tinker with it? Dilla's verse. <laughs> He said, you funny dude, you really think you can do me when you roll a 500? That's really your 320, should have let somebody else hook it. What? I was like, who is not listening to Dilla rap right now? <laughs> who? Who is not? Do you hear what he just said? It's his style. It's his finesse. So you just kind of want to build things around like his style. Like he's so, he's not on the one. Like, you know, like there's quantized beats and then there's not. He's like, not. Even in his flow, he's just not. And you just, it's a challenge. Like, how can we build something around this? What? Right? It's like a game we never played. Ow, ow, ow. Nigga, no doubt. Nigga, get live. You knocked the fuck out. Word up. Just be about what you I like you bringing Georgia into it because I think she bodied that untitled. What? to stop playing it because it was just taking me all the way out. I used to open, uh, I used to be on uh, KPFK. Oh. And I always started with the Dilla song, mm. always with the Dilla beat. And then for a couple of weeks, I just kept starting with Untitled. And it's so long. The song is so long. By, I would just be so worn out by the end. Like, what did she just do with this? Right. What did she What did she just do? With a baby so, on her lap. <laughs> when the quad ain't on her lap, just, okay, yeah, I'm just going to play and make it amazing. Let's dig into at least one more song off this album. Let's go with Doing It, which was one of the other singles. Motherfucker, move back. I pursue rap at the pace of a new jack. It's miscellaneous numbers and shoes stack. Bruce rap, I deliver for the hungry and underprivileged. Something different from these hollering, grunting niggas. This is so the question remains, was this song directed at someone or was it just kind of your, you know, generic braggadocio in terms of I'm not really speaking to anyone or was he actually really speaking to somebody? <laughs> Theories, theories here. I don't, man. Okay, when he said you claim says your city ain't got gangs, I'm like, well, he's definitely not talking about somebody on the West Coast. No, we've got gangs. We we're the gangland, right? So okay. I was like, who is he talking about? I was like, who is he really talking about? I don't know. Just certain lines were like, I don't know. It was I a little too specific. Too specific. Mm. And you know, he's like subliminal sneak diss or MC extraordinaire. So I'm like, I don't know. I feel like the people that the people know. You know, you know how you know subliminals for you? I feel like those people know, but they just never spoke on it publicly. I, I think, think that also speaks to um, sort of the duality that you talked about, that yeah. don't, you you all trapped up in him burning this incense, but behind this incense right. is a diss. Don't miss it, because he said something, right? So he can go there. I mean, this is still the guy that called Drake Canada dry. I had to bring him. <laughs> Yo. <laughs> so we want to ask if you could... Sum up Like Water for Chocolate in three words. If you had to describe it in three words, what would they be? Heartfelt, 
genuine. And uh, beautiful. Let's go out on one more song. Um, let's go with Time Traveling, the first song of the album. It'll be the last Ooh. track we listened to. These are your jams. Right yes, now, right? man. What? Yo, what's up, world? Yo, what's happening? It's the C double O, and I'm back again. Take this, back and then tell a friend. Spaces and places you've been. Time travel. Well, that'll do it for this episode of Heat Rocks with our special guest, Il Camille. So glad uh, you could sit down with us uh, today. Her most recent release is Heirloom. It is fire. I recommend you pick it up. As soon as you get through listening to this, just pick it up. Or you know what? Pick it up while you're listening to this. Yes. Just pick it up, okay? Thank you for coming uh, to sit down with us. Let us know where people can find you. Thank you for having me. But um, everybody can find me on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Rap Genius, all under the same moniker. It's Il Camille. That's I-L-L-C-A-M-I-L-L-E. YouTube, iTunes, Tidal, SoundCloud. <laughs> Just go. I'm here. I'm, I'm right here. What's up next for you? Um, I'm going to release another project soon and just keep the music coming, directing more of my own videos and working with my peers on their videos and getting better as an artist, as a person. That's, that's a daily thing, but that's it. More shows. I got uh, the Power Fest coming up, Pay Dues coming up. Well, thank you again, Il Camille. You've been listening to Heat Rocks with me, Oliver Wang, and Morgan Rhodes. Our theme music is Crown Ones by Thess One of People Under the Stairs. Thanks to him for letting us use it. Heat Rocks is produced by myself, Morgan Rhodes, and Kara Hart. And today's show was engineered by Nick Liao and edited by Kara. We are part of the Maximum Fun family, taping every week live in their studios in the dynamic Westlake neighborhood of Los Angeles. As a reminder, our special live episode taping with B. Slade, talking about Janet Jackson. Rhythm Nation is going down on Saturday, November 11th at 4 p.m. We'll be at the residence in the Arts District of Los Angeles. Find more info on the website. Please join us. Good to see you, Oliver. Good to see you too, Morgan. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.